before we get today's episode started, I wanted to tell you guys about an exciting new project that I'm working on. It's called Recovery Revolution Podcast Network. And what that is, is it's a group of people that are working to connect you with the best recovery content possible. It is a collection of different recovery podcasts and resources, and we're all working together to promote each other's shows and, and help you guys get different perspectives on recovery. we got a lot of great shows like Chasing Heroin, The Drunken Worm Podcast, Recovery Soul Food, The One Day at a Time Podcast, The Way Out Podcast, just a bunch of great content that we're all working together now to help each other grow and promote the message of recovery and let people know that it's possible and that there's more to life than just putting down the drugs or the alcohol. So if you guys want more information about that, please check out the links in the show notes. We have a website up as well as a couple of social media profiles. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I fought God for a couple of years with that. What you're supposed to be doing is focusing on helping those who have been through what you've been through. The whole dynamic of the practice changed. I have had the opportunity to I work with and engage with people all throughout the world. My guest today is named Dr. Eddie Caparucci. He is a counselor for men with problematic sexual behaviors. Welcome to the show, Dr. Caparucci. Hi, I'm Eddie Caparucci, Dr. Eddie Caparucci, and I am a licensed professional counselor in both the states of North Carolina and Georgia. I specialize in the treatment of problematic sexual behaviors, and I've been doing this for over 12 years now. I am the creator of a trauma model for treatment that I call the inner child model. And with that, um, there have been several books and different podcasts that have been created to help people to understand that, you know, it is not just addiction, even just about our struggles in life today, but it's also rooted in many of our unresolved childhood pain points. Yeah. And I love that you, that you focus on that because I think that it's so easy for us to see the surface level stuff for us to see those outward problems in our lives and think that if I can just stop this one behavior, then my life is going to get better without ever doing that internal work and, and addressing those traumas. And you're, you're so right about that, Brett. I mean, so right about that. In fact, I had a, uh, a client, uh, a dialogue with a client just recently where he, again, you know, had for almost 45 years been acting out. And we started to peel back the onion, as he keeps saying, and understanding that really what was the core driver for him is this need for power, this need for control. And why was that? Well, because when he was younger, you know, eight, nine years old, his parents divorced when he was about four. His mother remarried when he was six. Then his mother got sick. She got cancer. So she was bedridden for, for several years. And 
here's a little boy who was watching his mother die, and he had no control. He couldn't do anything about it. And also, not really accepted by his stepfather. So he felt very alone. And then, after his mom did die, his stepfather remarried, and him and his wife now have children, and he feels even more alienated because he's not part of it. So therefore, he wants control. He needs control, and that's what he sought out in the different relationship that he went after over the years. And again, he always thought, if he said, it was like, I thought I was seeking flesh, pressing flesh. He goes, but now I come to understand, no, that's not what it was. That wasn't the driver. The driver was, I have, I have a child, I was powerless, and I never want to be powerless again. Yeah, and that makes so much sense. And I would love if you wouldn't mind maybe going in a little a little more into depth of the inner child model and, and how you got to how you came to that point and realizing, you know, here's here's the root problem and we need to focus on that and maybe give us a little more detail about what all that entails. Right. Well I'll start with uh, my own story. I struggled with, you know, dealing with problematic sexual behavior from the time I was about 13, uh, stumbling across pornography. Um, and then starting at the age of 16, when I started dating, really being a womanizer, never having one girlfriend was ever enough. Oh, we needed more. And I took that into my adult world and it actually cost me a couple marriages because of that. And after the second marriage ended, I decided, you know what, I need to go get help. I was in my late 30s. I go, I got to figure out what is going on here. Why am I, you know, just continuing to chase women? And back then, you know, the whole idea of sex addiction wasn't really very well thought out or defined. There wasn't many people who were actually trained in working with someone. So what I did was I went to a uh, relationship therapist. And in talking with her, what I came to understand was I had an attachment disorder, which at the time I didn't even know what an attachment disorder was. But what happened when when I was five years old, my father died suddenly of a heart attack. My mother had a nervous breakdown. I was one of four children. And we each got sent off to separate relatives, okay, to stay. So here I am living with these people who I don't even know. I don't know who they are. And I'm five years old. No one's really telling me what's going on. Mommy's sick and you're going to need to, you know, stay with us for a little while. Well, I stayed there for almost a year while she was recovering. And then to come back and then try to be like, okay, who are the, who are you people now? You know, not really, not having been around my siblings you know, my mom and such. Then mom has to go off and work, of course, because it's the mid-60s. And so she finds a couple jobs to support us. So she's not around very much. So therefore, I grew up very alone and isolated. And I grew up with this fear of abandonment, which I didn't even realize. So therefore, anytime I had a relationship, I had one foot in and I had one foot out. Because again, the worldview that my inner child developed when I was younger was the people who love you will hurt you. The people who love you will leave you. 
the people who love you are not reliable. So that was my first glimpse into what was going on in the inner child. So as I got into the field of therapy, which again was a God thing and a totally different story, and I started working with men who were dealing with problematic sexual behaviors, the one that what I started to notice were there were various reasons why men abuse sex. And I identified nine of them. And for example, the need for affirmation, the need for attention, the need for control, uh, those who are sexually abused or early sexually stimulated. And so with these nine, I found they were common in all the men that I was working with. And then that dawned on me. I said, you know, what is the driver, the one driver that impedes a man's ability to help himself get through his addiction. And I believe that is shame. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I took an idea from a book that I had read years ago where the author talked about externalizing the addiction. I want to remove the addiction from me and I'm going to externalize it. So therefore, here's my addiction hanging outside my body. That's my addict. And what he did, he encouraged people to have dialogue with that, with their addict to talk to them about it and therefore help to remove their shame and better understand why they were struggling. Well, he went a little bit too far. He would want people to take their addict into things like, you know, adult bookstores and have those conversations. I mean, I think that, you know, pushing the envelope too far with something like that. But what I saw was, you know what, maybe what if I look at these, the nine reasons all center around pain points, emotional pain points, which base are based either in trauma or neglect of things that we endured as kids. So what I said was, you know what, let's use the inner child. So therefore, I created nine children. And that's how the inner child process began. That's fascinating, and I love that you're taking part of your own story and realizations that you had struggles in your childhood and you had traumas, and like you were talking about not being able to trust anyone that you loved and that they're all going to leave, and like you take that pain and those experiences and you bring this into a program where you can help other people also address their traumas and address their addictions. I think that that's so remarkable, so... Thank you for doing that, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about you know this journey of how you got from childhood to where you're developing this program. What were those years like in between from you know once once you got back with your mom and then she was working and you were there at home with your other siblings, and then how do how do you progress to where you are today? Well, back then, again, as I said, mom was very busy working. Uh, I had two sisters who were older. Uh, who were given the responsibility of watching myself and my younger brother, who was just, uh, he was like two years old. And as you can imagine, younger sisters, older sisters really don't want to be doing that. Instead, they'd rather be watching American Bandstand on TV, uh, which, of course, now I just dated myself because people are like, what's American Bandstand? Uh, 
But um, so therefore, again, like I said, I spent a lot of time alone in my room, isolated. Uh, I was very fortunate that when after my mother remarried when I was about 11, we moved into a neighborhood that had like 12 boys. So I was able to really cultivate and have some really good friendships along the way. Um, however, the relationship between myself and my stepfather was never a really good one. You know, he was a very stern man and he had a lot of demands for us, especially when it came to chores and he never seemed to be satisfied by it. So I found myself being grounded quite a bit because we knew that would be the ideal punishment. Um, so with that, again, isolation, feeling alone, and that left me in with a lot of fantasy, especially when I stumbled across pornography around the age of 12. And that what started taking me down a path of this is an amazing way of soothing myself through sex. And then when I started dating, as I said, I found that just couldn't, you know, have one girlfriend, needed more. And again, that was because I needed a tobacco plant. Um, after college and such, I went into the field of marketing and advertising. I was a very successful executive in that field for almost 25 years uh, before God came calling and said, no, I have something else for you to do. He goes, I, I want you to become a, a counselor, Christian counselor. Uh, which I didn't really want to do, and I fought that for a while. But then I gave in, and I did it. I went back to school, got another master's degree, and did all the state work and practicums, internships, and such, and opened up my own practice. And at first, it was just a general, a general practice, so seeing like people for all types of disorders. But then I noticed the trend where men were coming into my office and they were dealing with these problematic sexual behaviors. And I was like, oh my God, this is me. This is me. And with that, then I realized, okay, this is where I need to be. So what I did was I took the practice and I went exclusively in the area of working with men who are dealing with this. That, as I said, over time, my research led me to the nine reasons why men abuse sex and with that then i took it into the development of this trauma model i love that that, that you felt this calling you fulfilled that calling you did the work you went back to school you did all the things that are required by the state to get your license you start your own practice and then once you're in that practice you just kind of realize like this is why i'm supposed to be doing this I love that. And I think that that's such a testament just to, to following that voice, you know, whether that be, whether you call that God or higher power or whatever the, the, the listener that's listening to this might choose to call that, you know, but you listened to that, to that voice and you followed that. And, and it sounds like you found your passion and you realized that you're where you're supposed to be. And you're, it sounds like you're helping a lot of people. So I, I love that. Well, what's really amazing, again, as I told you, when um, the call first came and I was like, I don't want to do this. This is, like I said, I fought, I fought God for a couple of years with that before I finally gave in. 
But even after I gave in, I was like, okay, fine. So I'm going to open up a practice and I'm going to be a counselor and I'm just going to try to help other people. If when, again, I saw, no, what you're supposed to be doing, you're focusing on helping those who have been through what you've been through, the whole dynamic of the practice changed. I mean, the practice started out very successful at the very beginning. I was just very blessed by all of it. But what has happened, especially since the launch of the book, Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction, is I have had the opportunity to work with and engage with people all throughout the world, not just here in the Georgia, North Carolina area, but throughout the country, throughout the world that people who are picked up this book and resonated with it. I've had, I cannot begin to tell you, I probably get about a half a dozen emails every week from people saying how this book had changed their life and how they are looking at their addiction in a different way. They've struggled for years and years and they've tried all different types of methods and techniques. But now that they understand that, you know what? There's something at the root. There's something that is tugging down there that they've never touched. And now this book has given them the chance to touch it. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away by it. I'm just blown away by the... Um, the fact that I've had the opportunity to do something like that. And again, I give all the credit to him for what he's done. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at the book on Amazon before we started recording and you're, you got a a lot of positive reviews on there, a lot of five-star reviews. And obviously it's touching a lot of people just based on the number of reviews that you have on here and how many of them are positive. And obviously you're doing something right. And, you know, I think that, that that's so important. And, and like we've been talking about this whole time, like finding that root cause is so, so important. And for me, that was what made this time in recovery different than previous attempts was actually addressing the traumas and seeing beyond just the, the outward um, acting out and, you know, the behaviors that I didn't like. It was actually getting with another guy and having him walk me through the process and us begin to dig deep and look at myself and my past and my decisions Mm -hmm. and the situations I've been in and start to unpack those. And then that's when I was like, Oh, now I understand why I turned to this behavior because it's, it's familiar, it's comforting. But once you can heal those traumas then you can move beyond those, coping mechanisms or self-medication and then you can begin to live this more fruitful life and begin to heal and grow and it's just such a beautiful thing and I wish more people knew about recovery because I feel like we're kind of in an advantage now you Mm -hmm. know like it's crazy to say that I'm grateful for my addiction but it's true because it's put me on this path of of growth and healing and I don't know that I would have ever been on this path if I hadn't found recovery And so I'm so grateful for my addiction and for just the journey that I've been on. It hasn't always been beautiful and it hasn't always been pleasant, but where I'm at today is such an incredible place that I never thought that I could be at. Right. Well, see, that's the whole thing about the inner child model. 
is that it's not just about, okay, how do I get rid of this destructive behavior? What it's really focused on is increasing self-reflection. So therefore, we answer the why question. And it's interesting because when you're trained as a clinician, you're told to refrain from asking why questions because why questions come across as you're accusing somebody of something. But for me, that why question, why do I think, feel, and act the way I do? If you have, like, for example, Brett, you now have the answer to a lot of those questions, right? That empowers you. You're empowered to make real changes because you know what you have to go and address versus it's just like, well, you know what? We just need to refrain from this or we need to change this habit or we need. And it's like, no, 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 no. We got to go deeper to understand what's at the core. What's at that root that drives all of this? And again, I think it comes back to why. Why do I why do I think a certain way? Do I why do I feel a certain way? And why do I act a certain way? And not just when it comes to, like in this case, problematic sexual behaviors or any other addiction per se, but also maybe why do I have anger issues? Or why do I have trouble with conflict? You know, you could apply into every aspect of your life. And you're going to find that in most cases, it goes back to unresolved childhood pain points. It goes back to fear. Fear being the number one, you know, emotion, the driver that prevents us from doing things or causes us to do things. Because we're trying to, again, as you said before, we're using this as a coping mechanism. As a child, it served us really, really well. Well, you know what? As an adult, it doesn't serve us well any longer. See, I believe there are, if you look at any addiction, I believe there are three key factors. The first one I've mentioned already, and that is unresolved childhood pain points that are still haunting us today. We just, we're just unaware of it. We're oblivious to the fact that we're bothered by those. The second which I think is like the key driver that everyone who deals with an addiction has to deal with. And that's our inability to sit and process emotional discomfort. Okay. We have to learn how to sit with that because, because we haven't been able to do that. We learned at a very young age. All right. How do I deal with my emotional distress? Well, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to distract myself. Too much TV, too much food, too much fantasy, whatever it may be. And then we just change that behavior as we get into our adolescent, our teen years, our adult years. But we're still running away. And then the third factor, which is part of the new book that I, well, it's about two years old now, Why Men Struggle Love, is the fact that we are emotionally undeveloped. We did not get the training and the nurturing that we needed during the early stages of childhood development where we could be fully emotional beings. So therefore, we don't learn how to empathize. 
We don't know how to attune. We don't learn how to regulate our mood. We don't learn how to identify what we feel. We don't learn how to express that to be vulnerable. You know, and we don't learn how to sit with that emotional discomfort. And so therefore, again, what is it? We are acting, we're like teenagers in adult bodies. We are more reactive in our decision-making. We're more emotionally based in our decision-making. And we're not sitting here and being rational and coming up with it. Now, that's not in every aspect of our life, mind you. You could be very rational from a business perspective, things like that. But we're talking about from an emotional standpoint. And again, if we look at, you know, the whole thing with addictions, you know, the big thing about that, again, if those pain points that we want to cover up, that we don't want to deal with, so therefore, again, how do I numb it out or how do I stimulate myself so much that I don't have to feel? Mm, mm. And touching on that last point about just like, I I relate to that so much. Like growing up, I I wasn't taught how to deal with my emotions. You know, if, if anything happened, it was like, suck it up, rub some dirt on it. Like, you know, be a man. Don't show weakness. Don't be vulnerable. And that's that's so spot on. And and it's been in my adulthood, in my late twenties and early thirties, that I've begun to realize that it's okay to be vulnerable. That it's okay to express my emotions. That it's okay to. And I'm still working on the empathy thing. You can ask my wife. Like there are some times where she'll just look at me and be like, "Did you not hear what I said?" And it's like. I heard you. I just, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information. Like, I'm sorry that happened. Like there's still times when I struggle with that. And I'm like, I, I don't know what you want from me because I think, and it, it, it might just be my perspective, but I think we as men have more of a logical mind where my wife is telling me this problem and she just wants me to listen and give her support. And I'm over here, like coming up with a plan of like, here's how we're going to fix it. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. She doesn't want that. She just wants me to listen, but I can't understand that simple thing that she just wants me to listen. And I'm trying to, do you know, do you know what drives you to want to fix it? No, there's a reason it's anxiety. You, you struggle as all of us do, to what do I do with these emotions? Mm-hmm. What do I do with this? I don't know what to do with it. So therefore, it makes it, it creates a sense of discomfort. So therefore, what we're trying to do is shut it down. And how do we shut it down? Oh, let me let me give you the solution, or let me minimize it. It's not that big a deal. I don't understand what you're so worried about it. Or we become aggressive. You know what? What's wrong with you? You're so stupid. Why would you be worried about this stuff? Leave, you know, just leave me alone and be done. So, But it's all if a, another coping mechanism. We as addicts have so many coping mechanisms that, we, again, as children – served us well because we were so frightened and scared and we didn't know what to do with this emotional pain we had or mental distress that we have. But now as adults, 
these coping mechanisms are just making our lives more difficult. Such as, again, the wife wants to talk about something that's distressing. And we're like, oh, well, and, and that's not, we're not having the thought about it. We're not sitting here saying, oh, this is really stressing me out. It's just this uh, under the surface, low grade type of discomfort. And it, the immediate go-to is the kid, your kid is saying, shut it down, shut it down. And that's what we go to. It's all part of the idea that many people, I think nine out of 10 folks who deal with addictions have a low emotional IQ. And basically what that means is one, they're limited in how they can express their emotion. They can identify if they're sad, if they're lonely, if they're happy, afraid. Um, that's th those very basic things. But they can't tell you what they really feel. If you ask them to go deeper and try to put another name to that emotion, they can't tell you because, again, as a child, nobody gave them the names to different emotions. The second part of a low emotional IQ is even if I can identify some of those key emotions, I'm very apprehensive about sharing them because somewhere along the line, we got the message that, and you went through some of those scenarios before, you know, oh, stop crying, don't carry on like that. That's not the way a man should be. We got the message that sharing your emotions is not healthy. Okay. And then finally, the last part of the low emotional IQ is if someone wants to be emotional with us, it causes our anxiety to increase and we don't know how to handle it. So therefore, as I said before, shut it down. And you do that by either trying to fix it, minimizing it or being aggressive with it. Wow. You are blowing my mind right now because I feel like you just like stepped inside of my house and like watched an interaction it's yeah that you're, you're spot on with your analysis and like the different responses to those situations i'm i'm just blown away right now again what most people who deal with addiction go through okay this is not this this is again as i said in doing my research and again, mine were with people who dealt with problematic sexual behavior. But as I was telling you before we went on the air, that I am in the process. We've just written another book, and I'm collaborating with um, the director of the Center for Addiction uh, Control in London. And we're writing a book about the inner child and how it impacts all addictions. Okay, because that's what his center does. They focus on all addictions, so whether they're substance or they're behavioral. And that's what the book covers with that. And he, in his practice, where he has about five or six clinicians working with him, they use the inner child model, you know, at the core, um, the core part of their therapy practice. And they've seen amazing success with it. So again, as you said, wow, man, you really, it's like you're, you know, like you're in my house. I can't tell you how many people who have read the book Going Deeper who, who say, this is, you, you, you're telling my story. 
you you're in my head. You know, you you're living my life, and it's like, well, you know what? It's just that's what all of us are living. We're all we we almost all of us are the same. Yes, there's that small group on the outside, or that maybe that ten percent, fifteen percent, that may have other factors that are involved. But for the large majority of us, and I don't care if it's an eating disorder, a sex disorder, a substance disorder, you're, you're an exercise freak, you're workaholic, uh, whatever it may be, and I say exercise freak in a most loving way. <laughs> um, it is, it is at the bot at the root of the problem. It is unresolved pain point our inability to sit with that pain that then causes us to run away. And because we lack that emotional maturity, we don't have the compass to be able to sort through it and come up with a healthy solution. Instead, what do we think of the most simplistic solution? And what is that like? That's like a child, an adolescent. Mm, yeah that's the way we think yeah that instant gratification something to correct something to distract our our mind and i feel like it's so easy nowadays with instant gratification and amazon prime and doordash and netflix and it's just so easy for us to just find something to take our mind off of it and not ever have to deal with our own inner child and and the trauma i i'm starting i'm starting to believe brett that a very large majority of people have some sort of addictive behavior. I, I really am. And whether that is the phone, oh yeah, the internet, social media, spending like Amazon, okay, which which could be a little bit of mine also, okay. <laughs> if you feed a number of packages to come to my house. <laughs> I, I I do I do. I believe that we because we have all of the ways of distracting us of video games, there's a whole new litany of addictive behaviors that have come into our lives over the last 20, 25 years that people have gravitated to in masses. Masses. How many people are playing games like candy crush and they're spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars every month on it hundreds if maybe not even thousands okay and it's become a new addiction and now we've seen again gambling's always been an addictive uh behavior that people need to worry about but now with the legalization of sports betting that has taken place with leagues such as the NFL and Major League Baseball and the NBA adopting, you know, and saying and, and taking money for sports betting, we're gonna we're gonna see more and more people start to succumb to that. Mm, mm. And the and the reason being, go back to the lack of emotional maturity, the ability to be able to say no. Instead, no, I need this. I have to have this. And that's why we also have to work on not just, ooh, how do I get rid of the behavior, but how do I become more emotionally developed? 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, it makes so much sense. And and like you said, the world that we're living in today, there's so many options. And and I, I'm I'm wanting to have an episode in the future on technology addiction. I just haven't found the person to speak on that, but I can definitely see where that's a problem. And I mean, I think we all can struggle with that. And it's so easy because we all have smartphones in our pockets and we all have access to the internet 24 seven. And there's just so many things that can pull our attention in different ways. And it's hard to moderate that at times I find myself and I see it all the time. Like I was, I went to get food the other day and I was waiting on, I was waiting in line to get my food and the person working the register was waiting on the order to come out and I saw them pull their phone out and they're scrolling on their phone just in that couple minutes while they're waiting on the food to be sat in the window for them to then grab it and hand it to me. They're over there playing on their phone and I'm like, I can't believe that as I'm sitting there doing the same thing, scrolling and I justify it and I justify it. Like, well, I'm on the podcast uh, Instagram page, you know, messaging somebody back, but here I am Mm -hmm. phone in my hand, just scrolling along their scroll. Like, we're all addicted. I would encourage all of your listeners over the next week to go and, and pay attention the way you did. When you're out and about, pay attention to the people who are around you and how many are on their phone. And you're right. I've seen more and more of that. The people who are, you know, they're, they're working and they're, but they still got their phone out. You know, I went to the pharmacy the other day and went up to the counter and here's the girl, she's sitting there and she's rolling on her phone, you know, and even if I'm just standing there, she looked up at me for a second and continued to scroll for another second or two and then put it down. Uh, it just, it is an obsession. Yeah, definitely. And it's hard for me when I'm at work to get away from it because I have a, I have a company phone and then I have to log all my calls and all the things that I'm doing, I have to do through different apps that are on my phone. So I feel like I'm constantly holding a phone in my hand and I hate it. And it just, I don't know. It's, it's weird, but I know like on that, on that aspect, like it it is work and I'm not playing games and doing, you know, mindless scrolling and stuff. I'm having to document what I'm doing and filling out reports and doing that kind of thing on my phone. But I just hate that. I always have that, thing in my hand and i'm like having to look at this little tiny screen but uh we are we're getting towards the end of our time so i would love if you wouldn't mind telling the listeners if they're interested and i after this conversation i don't know who hasn't listened to this it wouldn't go hey that's me if they want to know more about your books about the services you offer where can they find you and uh you know what what different books do you have available at the moment Right. Well, I have there's uh, three books that are currently available. One is called Removing Your Shame Label. The second book is, is this is the one we've been talking about the most today, Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction. But as I said, you know, it can apply to all addictions. And But that's the new book that will be coming out toward the end of the year. And then the newest book is called Why Men Struggle to Love, removing a relational blind spot. And again, that's talking about the idea of why being sober is not enough. We have to go beyond just ridding ourselves of that behavior 
and we have to learn to become emotionally developed. People can learn a lot more about the whole inner child concept if they go to the website www.innerchild-sexaddiction.com. Again, innerchild-sexaddiction.com. And there they'll find a lot of information about it. The books are all available exclusively at Amazon. And as I said, there'll be, you know, the new book that's going to be available about uh, addictions in general. And there's also going to be a book called Going Deeper for Women, how to how the inner child impacts your love and porn addiction. And that will be out in the fall also. If people want to reach out to me personally, they can uh, reach out to my email, Ed Kappa, E-D, C-A-P-P-A at gmail.com. I am not accepting new clients. However, I have trained a large group of clinicians on the inner child model. So therefore, I can provide uh, referrals to them that they can then be working with these people. Because once the book came out, as I said, it changed everything. And it's just been incredible the volume of people who want to do inner child work when it comes to their recovery so we're going to continue to be training more and more people along the way but again if they go to edkappa at gmail.com i'll be more than happy to help them to answer any questions i answer all emails so you know they don't have to worry about you know oh you probably never get back to me and you're very fast too. I, I sent you the link for this interview and I think you replied within a couple of minutes. And I think that's like a new record for me on how quickly somebody's replied. I was like, there's no way he already, I heard my phone ding and I was like, there's no way that he's already messaged me back. And sure enough, now, Brett, I want to, I want to caution. I want to caution your listeners. <laughs> I'm not always that quick. Okay. I mean, it, it all depends. I, I try to get back to everybody. The same day. Yeah. I really do. I just sometimes I can't. The volume right. too much. I mean, yours popped up when I was just like right there. And I said, oh, let me take care of this. But I do. I really I make it a habit uh, to try to get back to people as quickly as possible and to definitely respond to everybody. Mm. Because there's a lot of people who need help. I can't save the world. But yet I know I have a lot of people now who can jump in and try to make a difference. I love it. And, and I'm right there with you. We can't save the world by ourselves, but together we can each do play our own little part in trying to help people and, and, you know, get them the information that they need and the understanding. And, you know, hopefully there's somebody that's listening to this episode now that resonates with what's been shared and they realize that, you know, maybe they have some inner child work that they need to do or, or something that we've said today has, has touched them. And, and, you know, this, this moment right now is going to be the moment that they have that turning point in their life. And they're going to realize that, you know, I don't have to continue in this same cycle. I don't have to continue to rely on those crutches that I've used in the past to help me numb or to help me escape. And, you know, this is the moment where they turn and they change their life. So, I appreciate you coming on the show today, sharing part of your story, sharing about your inner child work and the books and everything that you were involved in. I'm just so grateful that you came on today and shared that with us. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I just want to end by just saying this, that, you know, for some people to think about going back and touching some of those past wounds, some that they, they may not even remember at this point, it's very frightening. But I will say this, I will tell you, and I promise, that once you start getting into the process, it is exciting. It is thrilling. Because the more and more you start to peel back that onion and you start to look at it and say, oh my gosh, you know what? I'm not just a, a sick individual. I'm a broken person and I'm broken because of X, Y, and Z. And I can fix X, Y, and Z. I can make this better. Mm-hmm. And it's just that that's what drives me. That the passion I have to see people as uh, they get giddy and excited about what they're learning. So again, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I hope that maybe you and I can be able to get together again and, and talk in the future. Absolutely. Thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Dr. Caparucci, thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about some difficult subjects and sharing about the inner child model. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes. Recovery Revolution Podcast Network.